the heart of Mountain Mind Tricks is the breakthrough session. My first breakthrough session was beyond any healing I could have ever imagined. The rapid transformation that happens in the breakthroughs blows my mind every time. Your perception is a projection. In other words, what you see in your reality around you is a projection of what you believe about yourself. Anytime you wish something was different in life, I teach you how to look inside and find the solutions. My favorite part about the breakthrough session is when we change something on the inside, the holograms around you start to change too. And you know, what do I mean by holograms? Well, you gotta read the book Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot to fully get this idea. But basically the synchronicities, the people, the events start lining up in ways you never thought possible when you become realigned after a breakthrough session. You know, I love seeing the mind-body energy connection in action too. Your mind is stronger than anyone has ever told you because your thoughts and feelings affect your cells first and foremost. Check out the work of Bruce Lipton in the Biology of Belief. Bruce breaks down how your thoughts and feelings affect your cells through basic biology experiments. The breakthrough session upgrades your beliefs and reduces stress in your nervous system, which means you're upgrading the way your genes are expressed in your cellular biology. So I want you to go to mountainmindtricks.com and schedule a free discovery session to learn more. We have so many new opportunities here at Mountain Mind Tricks right now. I'm so excited. I'm so stoked on this. I want you to go to the website and check out the Leadership Accelerator if your mental health is affecting your performance on the line and at home. I want you to check out the energy session if you want to experience the healing power of ancient Hawaiian shamanism. We also support wildland firefighters during the fire season who are on light duty due to injury or mental health. In the reset program, we offer the breakthrough session half off because we know you can't get your overtime. Upcoming this winter, we have the group coaching program, Expanding Situational Awareness, such an amazing group of folks. We come together for transformation, for meditation, for going deep into release work together. Such a beautiful process, and it includes a mini breakthrough session. So I want you to go to mountainmindtricks.com and learn more about our programs. I'm so excited for our podcast today. We have the amazing Kevin, the author, Kevin Conley Jr., uh, the author of Above the Ashes here with us today. And I am just ecstatic to have him on the show because the book is so powerful. His experience, everything that he wrote about, the struggle he went through, I just resonated with so much of it. And and I just I just want to say, first thing, I love you, brother. Like, thank you so much for writing this. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable. Like, our community needs this so bad. Like, this book is so, so important, and I appreciate your journey. And and I guess I, I kind of want to start from the beginning a little bit of, like, just to kind of paint the picture of where you were to, and, and what this journey was. Like, I kind of want to hear the hero's journey, like, the transformation and and we're going to get pretty spiritual, pretty deep today and pretty metaphysical, if you will. 
And I guess let's just start from the beginning, Kevin, of like, what was like, how did you get here, man? Yeah, that's a, well, it's an honor to be here too, Thomas. Um, I'm very excited to connect with you and, uh, you know, I, I love you and, and all our firefighters, all our brothers out there on the line and, and sisters and, and everyone out in the world. We're all going to go through suffering and we got to stick together. It's very important um, and it's really important to speak out. So how it started, that's like the most interesting question because I've, I've baffled myself with trying to pinpoint what happened, right? And we do that so much in life. We're trying to figure out what happened and sometimes there's not a there's not a, this is it. There's not a a pinpoint you put on the map where this is when it happened. This is why it happened. There's not always trauma. Sometimes it's all built up. It builds up over time because you never grieved or you never went through something. And for me in my situation in 2020, um, I worked in Yosemite national park on a module there based out of El Portal. And after the season on November 9th, I, uh, was laid off as we do uh, temporary, you know, seasonal employees. I was laid off and I went out to Big Sur and I had my first severe panic attack. And it was the most bizarre feeling. You feel like you're having a heart attack. You can't see straight. Like I'm very social. I, I like couldn't even move my lips and talk. And like the whole world was like shaking and like just everything. It like just stunned me. It like froze me in time. And I didn't know how to react to it or how to calm my feelings. So I ended up just getting some beer to try to like calm down and my hands were shaking and I I couldn't figure out, like I couldn't see straight. And that was my first big panic attack. And it lasted for probably like four hours constantly. My heart was just bumping out of my chest. And so that's where it all started that day. And then over the course of the next month, um, they happened every day and they just got worse and worse and worse. And then I had severe panic attacks for a year. And after about six months of feeling like I would never escape that feeling, feeling like I was going to die. Like I'd have panic attacks in the morning, afternoon, at night, all day long. And I never thought I would leave that. That was my perspective. And that threw me into a depression after about uh, five or six months. And then when I started getting depressed and not speaking about it and being like so alone in my own head was when it really got bad. But it all started in uh, early November, right after I finished my last my last fire season in Yosemite. Wow, man. And I can resonate with you so much because I think uh, I would call it I, I had a my engine captain passed away. My whole life just unraveled from there. And, and it ended up, I don't know if it was the same symptoms, but I really went through some similar stuff of like feeling like you're dying, like your heart is pounding, like all these symptoms are just like, what the fuck is happening to me? And it's just like daily. And wow, man, I just, when I was reading your book, I was just like, wow, yeah, this is, this is sounds exactly what I was going through in a lot of ways, uh, similar. And, and so, I just want to make sure, and and I know we know this, but I want to say it out loud. Like, there's so many brothers and sisters in our community right now going through this, and so it's 100%. so so important, so so important. We talk about it. 100%. So, I, I guess there's there's this piece of in the wildland fire community where this challenge you talk about in your book, like challenge builds character. Like that's so important and so powerful for us on the line. 
And I think there's a certain point where it crosses into the realm of kind of being detrimental. You know what I mean? Like we we're, we're, we want to hit the challenge. We want to do the mission. We want to do the objective so bad that we really don't take care of ourselves. And, and I would love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I believe. Well, I, I want to backtrack to what you were saying about so many people in our, our firefighting community go through this, if that's okay. Um, yeah, please, and, please. And then I'll answer the character build. What were you saying? Character builds. Um, like challenge. You said in your book, like challenges really build your character. And, and, and I think um, we're going to take that a little bit deeper, but let's just, uh, let's go back to like our community. And, and really there are people right now struggling with this. Yeah, I was. And, and that's what I wanted to touch. Cause that was the first part you're saying. And it, it truly blew my mind when, you know, like the energy you put out is the energy you get in. And when you open up your, your mind, when you open up your heart to others, you know, they get more vulnerable to speak their truth. And it was so fascinating and also very sad. Um, when I started talking about what I was going through, when I was on my bike ride, when I started writing the book and when I was being vulnerable and authentic and, and just fucking raw, like giving my true emotions, like when I was suicidal, when I was sad, when I was hopeless, when I was depressed, like I, I told everyone the truth. And I feel like that's important and a, a stigma we need to break in men. And I was so fascinated with how many people, um, Army Rangers, Navy SEALs, hotshots, smoke jumpers, engine crews, all over the community of first responders were sending me, for the most part, it was private messages. And I was getting people messaging me like, I can't believe that you're doing this. You just gave me the hope to speak out about what I'm going through. And I just like, I'd get a message like, I just talked to my sister about it. I just told my parents about it. And, you know, it's people that were on the same path as me where they were, they were drinking to, to get away from this because, you know, where I was, I didn't have the courage at first to ask for help. I felt like I was so weak. Like I'm a hotshot firefighter. Like I could carry this, I could do this, I could, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. Like we're all going to go through adversity. You know, if it's losing a loved one, if it's uh, poverty, if it's going through whatever feelings, it's, it's a guarantee that you're going to go through some shit in your life. And what I wrote in my book was like, these moments that you go through will define you because how you rise up out of, out of that moment and how you fight through it, you know, you battle through the mud and then, and then you reach the top of the summit. Well, that's going to, that's going to define your character is how you rise above the ashes, mm -hmm. how you rise above the adversity that you're faced in. You know, if you're going to, you can't sit there and wither. And I do believe it's, it's okay for a little bit, like for a little bit, we're just going to feel this and we need to go through it. And then there's a time in your life where you got to be like, all right, I got to fucking do something. I got to pull myself up. I got to get off the couch. I got to stop being, you know, feeling these ways. And I got to figure out a solution to find peace in my heart. Yeah, brother. I think it's so, it, it, you're so right. Like those moments and that's, that's what I wanted to expand on is like these challenges, like we on the fire lines, like, yeah, you're carrying a QB with a pack and all, all the shit, right. Or, or the saw and the, and the Dolmar for some reason, like who knows you're, you're going through that challenge, right. Physically. But there's a certain point, like you're talking about, like, we've got to take that, that warrior mindset, like internally, and we've got to become a, like a spiritual warrior or a mental warrior in a lot of ways to, to, like you said, like really stand our ground in those moments when those thoughts, those feelings are like overwhelming. And 
And I just love that spirit of your book, man. Of just like, I'm here to fucking pedal out of this. And it's, it's a gigantic metaphor of what we all need to be doing on like moving one pedal at a time towards a better mindset. Like, ah, it's just, it's powerful message, brother. Yeah, no. And, and that's so true is, you know, pedal. And, you know, the metaphor is like, you got to stop running. There's a point where you got to stop running. And when I was going through, like when I was deeply depressed, there was not a single person that was going to come and shake me and be like, Oh, it's time to tune up and make a change. You know, it takes you, it, t- it takes you as an individual to stand up. And, and the first part of that healing journey is to just say it out loud, you know, and, and sometimes that's not to anyone else. Sometimes that's just being out in the woods, being in your apartment, wherever you are, just saying it out loud and hearing it. And then you got to start to forgive yourself and be like, it's okay what I went through. It's okay. I can get better. You know, I, I remember, I mean, it took me over a year to, to learn a lot of these things, to, to learn that so much of what I was going through, you know, it was hell in my mind, but I lived like a beautiful life for 33 years before that, you know, it wasn't all perfect, you know, ups and downs, of course. But for so long when I was depressed and having my panic attacks, I thought that was it. Every day, this is what I'm going to get. This is what I'm going to go through. And my mind became so consumed in that, that I let that happen. And it took my mind to step back, to not run away from my problems, work through them, and then realize even on a cloudy day, like I could still run through the rain. It's going to be okay. And that's, it's hard to find that. But the biggest hurdle that I, one of the biggest hurdles that I overcame was my perspective that was my perspective was I'm depressed. I'm going to have a panic attack. I, I'm, I'm, I was scared to get in the shower, scared of tunnels, scared to like, I felt trapped in a car. Like my whole world was like closing in. I'd go at, uh, for a 10 mile run. I'd make it a half mile and I didn't like it. Like I'd, I'd freak out. And my whole perspective was, this was my whole life. This is what's going to happen. But that wasn't my reality. I was making it my reality. So when I learned to shift my perspective, and work through those issues, then my reality totally changed. But my reality was never that. It was in the moment because I allowed it to consume me. And that's all I thought about. And when I started to let that go, when I didn't talk about, here comes a panic attack, here comes a panic attack, you know, I didn't let it consume me. When I'd be out on my bike for 60 miles, there was no escape. There was no calling a friend. There was no going to the bar. There was no drinking a few beers. There was no, there was no escape other than to pedal and get through it and fighting through those demons alone in the middle of nowhere with my dog, Rocky, that's what, what changed my perspective. And in turn, I realized my reality. Mm. Wow. Brother, there's some, there's some heavy wisdom here. And, and I do, I want to, I want to save the, the reality and perspective changes. Um, we're we're going to get to it. And I think, because we've got to go way deeper. And what I want to go back to something you said was like really being in charge of your thoughts, like being um, only I can do this. Right. And I think even, you know, I do a lot of client work. I work with so many people and the first step, like you're saying is, is being at cause, like, no, wait a minute, I caused this, I created this in my mind. And the next step is really empowering. Like the, uh, you are in charge of your mind, therefore your results. So 
you've got to get a handle of this. And, and it's, it's being at cause is the first step. Like maybe I did create this somehow, like, because that gives us the power to undo it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It all, um, well, the wild thing about that Thomas was I used all my tools at, at the beginning when it started happening and I started having severe panic attacks. I, I used the tools that I, that I know. And I used to work wilderness therapy for a couple of years and, and help teenagers and, and, and young, uh, young males and females in their early twenties. And I, I had these tools, like I helped others. And then those tools, they didn't work. Like I was trying to tell myself things over and over when I was having a panic attack, positive thoughts and, and this and that, and go for a run. And it was so debilitating. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It didn't work. And that's what was so difficult. And that's, I started to feel hopeless. It was like, I'd sit there for an hour and just be like, everything's okay. I'm okay. It's okay. I'm going to make it through this. And yeah, I just broke, I broke down more every day. So, so something in your book that really captured me, brother, like it just captured my attention right away was this, the first step is forgiveness. And then there was a gratitude for everything around you. And then there was like this feeling of love. And, and it really like, that's how your journey was painted for me of like, oh my God, like there he is. He's forgiving himself one pedal by pedal, always forgiving the other person, the people in his life, all the people, like there's so much forgiveness on this page and this part of the journey. And then it was just like gratitude. Oh my God, the power of gratitude. Like I, I, that may be one of the most powerful emotions there is. I agree. Is, is gratitude. And, and I would love to hear you just speak to that journey of forgiving everybody in your life, finding that gratitude and really stepping into that love. Yeah. Um, well, like kind of what we were talking about, I was trying to pinpoint like what went wrong and I had all these ideas. And one of those big things that struck my mind was my little brother. I feel like uh, we, we're, he's seven years younger than me. And I feel like I wasn't the best uh, role model when he was growing up. I, I went through my own troubles growing up and maybe bullied him a little bit and, and pushed him a little too hard. And so that was one of my first steps of forgiveness was like trying to right that wrong and be a better role model and big brother for him, which I've, I've been working on for years, but Gratitude is so important. And I read something uh, a few months ago that was saying that gratitude, gratefulness, and anxiety can't live in the same time. They can't live in the same energy. So I started, uh, I didn't uh, start, I started this on my bike ride, but I read that a few months ago. So a year ago, I just started waking up every morning and, you know, I'd be pedaling like 100 miles a day, but I'd wake up and I would just think about things that I was grateful for. And it wasn't always, you know, a big thing like, oh, I'm so grateful my mom carried me in her womb for nine months and, and birthed me and nursed me and all that. You know, sometimes it was simple, like I'm so grateful that, you know, I can look up at the stars and I can hear the birds and I got water and I can walk around and I can see everything like I'm I'm this is awesome. Like life is fucking good. And it was like reminding myself every day when I wake up and then when I go to sleep or even sometimes through the day, but when I go to bed, like, thank you. Like I had another gift and that was today. And sometimes we lose so much focus on the moment that we're like looking towards the future. And I hate looking towards the past. Like, yeah, we can spend a little time there, 
But right now, right now, that's all we have. There is no guarantee for tomorrow because tomorrow never comes, you know? So people forget. They're like, I'll see you tomorrow. It's like, I love you, brother. I hope I see you tomorrow. You know, like, I hope I do see you tomorrow. But right now is what's important and how we impact and how we affect people and how we treat people and how we let people know we love them is so important. Gratefulness and showing it too. Like you can be grateful in your head, but like tell people you're grateful. It's so important to express that. And when you let your love pour out, it will flow back in. It's so, so man, I, I just, these, these concepts are really spiritual. Any spiritual context, yoga, uh, like meditation or like new age or like whatever you want to call it. Even like the major religions talk about these three things, like forgiveness, gratitude, love, like, I guess to me and people that know me know I'm going to always take it somewhere spiritual or metaphysical, but it, it, to me, it seems like there was some sort of experience of the divine that came in for you. Like, I'm curious, I mean, whatever that means to whoever, it's just a label. I mean, the only label I would use for that is maybe love. Like there was, there seems like there was an experience on that level that happened for you. I'm curious. Can I talk about, uh, my worst week of my life leading up to my bike tour. Yeah, please. Cause do. I think well, um, my, a very spiritual, very, um, I, what I prefer is, you know, everyone has, it's like a bicycle wheel. There's all these spokes, you know, there's every way that someone finds their way to the center. You know, some people believe in, you know, Buddha or Catholicism or Mormon, Jewish, whatever it is, or energy. We're all trying to get to that circle uh, of life, of energy, of love, whatever it is. And I had the wildest moments. Uh, so I tried to kill, I wanted to kill myself twice in one week, two nights predominantly. And uh, after the first night, I, I, I just didn't, I never felt that feeling in my life. I never felt so destroyed to the point that I wanted to make the selfless, selfless, the selfish act. Like I did not want to be here. And at first I just wanted to disappear. I just wanted to like drive to Alaska, throw my phone out the window. And I don't know. I don't know what, where that was going. And I, it just got so dark that first night. I just, I just want to kill myself. And I wrote into my book, like if I owned a gun, I, I would not be writing this. And, you know, thank God I, I don't own a gun. And the next morning I called my grandmother. Uh, she passed away a few months ago and she's very, very religious, very religious. And, uh, her husband, my grandfather, a World War II vet, he passed away about, about 10 years ago. And so she's been alone up in Pennsylvania. You know, everyone goes up. Uh, my mother and her sister spent time with her. But I called her and I uh, I was just lost. And uh, I had never felt that way that first night. And I didn't tell her that I want to kill myself or I was deeply depressed. I just said, uh, I call her Grams. I said, Grams, is there, like, if I feel like a little lost in life, is there anything that you recommend I should do? And she said, yes. She said, Go down to the nearest Catholic church 
and just go and sit there for a little while, and I bet you'll find some peace. And I said, all right. So my grandmother's name was Madeline. And I look up, I'm at the dog park with my dog, and I look up the nearest Catholic church, and there's actually a cathedral named uh, the Cathedral of Madeline. It's named after my grandmother. <laughs> like, such a coincidence, you know? I don't think so. And I go down there, and I might be the only person <laughs> that's ever walked into a cathedral with a with a dog on a leash and a beer in the other hand. And they were in the middle of service, and I sat in the, the very, very back, and I felt some energy, God, if you will. I felt something. And I just sat in the back pew, and I cried for an hour. I just put my hat down over my eyes, and I just cried. And everyone walked by me, and there's a few people that, like, put their hand on my shoulder. And when the Mass was done, I was the last one out of the church. And when I was walking out of the church, I, the priest, he's shaking everyone's hand, and everyone was gone, and he was walking to the back room. And I said, you know, I had tears. I was, my face was red. Tears running down my face. I asked him if I could do confession. And I don't think I've done that since uh, I'm 35 years old. I don't think I've done that since I was 14, you know, mm -hmm. 20 years. And I went and did confession. Um, and, yeah, that was part of my forgiving. And I came out of the church, and I felt so like like this weight was off my shoulders. I, I told him some, some real feelings. Not all of them, because um, I, I didn't, I still didn't have the courage. And uh, I went back home, and I felt good for about like an hour. Felt great, like someone someone touched me. I really felt that way. And then I started feeling funny again. It got dark out, and I said, "All right, I should go down to the church again." <laughs> and you know, it's all locked up. And at this point, I was like, "Oh gosh, I got to do something." And, uh, yeah, I went back to the church. I sat out on the front steps for a little while and just sitting on the steps and I've on and off believed in God my whole life. Um, there was something powerful to that day. My grandmother, her name's Madeline going to the cathedral of Madeline. And then just like this wave of emotions overtakes me. And it was the first time I really like spoke to anyone was in confession. And, uh, not the best advice, you know, it's a few Hail Marys and a few Our Fathers and, and you're forgiven, but uh, it felt good just to get that out. And then a few days later was uh, the night I really wanted to kill myself. And I thought of all the ways I could do it. And either way you do it is uh, is selfish. There's, there's no way to, there's no other word to it. It's selfish because you're taking yourself from your family, your friends, and people that care about you and this whole world, you should seek help. Um, start with your family, start with a stranger, start with anyone, but but seek help. Um, and the night I really wanted to do it, I figured the, the best way that I could do it was I could drive my truck as fast as I could, you know, 90, 100 miles an hour into a wall. And without my seatbelt on, that would probably take me out. And I've been drinking 
and I was lost and I, I didn't want to live. I did not, I didn't want to be here at all, at all. Like I, I, in that moment, I wished I had a gun and I could end it in seconds. And I'm so grateful I didn't have one because I wouldn't be here. And, uh, so I grabbed my car keys. I turned off the lights. I got my dog Rocky and, uh, I wasn't going to bring him. So I dumped out, I don't know, seven days of food on the floor, gave him a kiss and I got my keys in my hand. I'm walking out the door. And right as I got my hand on the doorknob, I feel this weight on my right shoulder. And I hear my dad in my head. I hear my dad. And he just says, and I could feel his hand on my shoulder. It was the most bizarre thing. I could feel his, feel it. It was like it was right there. And he lives in Virginia. I'm in Salt Lake City. And I just hear my dad in my head. And like something overtook me. And I just closed my eyes with my hand on the doorknob. I just closed my eyes about to kill myself. And he just says, you never give up. You never give up, son. And I turned around. And that's when I snapped in. And I was like, "It's I got to make a fucking change now. But you want to talk about some energy? Like what happened there? Like between my grandmother sending me to that church and then mm-hmm. I would have killed myself 100% if I didn't have that spirit in my head Tell me you never give up, son. You never give up. Wow, brother. I really, I like, I feel the energy of that actually over here. Like I, I, I've got goosebumps from that story. Like, thank you so much for, for sharing. And I know it's in your book, but just hearing it straight from you is like, wow, that's, that is, that's a spiritual, that's a mystical experience. Like there's no way around it. Like you had an experience of energy of, of, that's the moment. Wow. I love it. I, I It's it's such a dark place. I think, I know I've been there. I was suicidal many, many times in my life, many times. Um, you know, just to be really open and honest, like I think in high school, I, I had a near-death experience from uh, overdosing on drugs. And that moment when I had that near-death experience, that is what changed my life. I, I went from a really terrible teenager in all sorts of trouble to all of a sudden I was meditating and reading books about Buddhism and quantum physics and all like I just went straight up monk in high school after that you know I love it hell yeah (laughs) you know and so I've been there I not that exact moment but I I hear you and I and I appreciate you and I resonate with your story so much so thank you for being so vulnerable yeah I I appreciate that and and that's something like you speaking your truth and, and me speaking my truth. It's fascinating how many people go through, you know, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideations, um, depression. It's almost like I almost feel like almost everyone I've ever met has gone through that and told me they've gone through that. I'm not making an assumption when I, wrote my book when I went on my journey, so many people, hundreds of people reach out to me relating. And that's what blows my mind is I never knew that about any of them. Some of my closest friends never ever spoke about it. And that's part of the, the mission of, of why I wrote, uh, wrote this book was I was 
so inspired by the people that reached out to me and, and told me what they had gone through, what they are going through. And I wanted to, as a man, tell my true story of what I went through and, and be vulnerable, be authentic and, and be raw and, and say it. Like it was so hard to write chapter two and three. It was so hard to revisit that for three days in a row, reading, revising, reading, revising. But I did it because I believe this story can truly inspire and help other people. Because just as you said, like it resonates with you, like you felt these feelings and there's a point in our lives for everyone. You're going to feel something that's not top of the hill, the happiest moment of your life. Like every day is not your wedding day. And uh, it's important to, for people to know they're not alone. Like, I thought I was alone. I was a fool. Like, I felt like I was the weakest person on earth. I felt like I was a, a wimp and I was embarrassed. I was so embarrassed for how I was feeling. Like, that's bullshit. Like, don't be embarrassed. How you're feeling is how you're feeling. Like, don't be ever be embarrassed about that. And don't get me wrong. It's extremely hard to be like, I'm nervous right now. Or like, I'm really sad right now. I agree. That's not easy. And that's why I didn't talk about it for a fucking year. I'm not saying that's easy, but it's beautiful when you do. Because almost immediately, that night um, when I uh, heard my dad's voice come down, I called the Wildland Firefighter Foundation almost maybe 10 minutes after that. And I was like, I got to make a fucking change. And I left a voicemail. Uh, it was late at night. And Burke Miner, who runs the Wildland Firefighter Foundation after his mother, uh, Vicky, I think he was the first person that I told I want to kill myself. And there was like a weight lifted. It was like, not like the, 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 the weirdest weight. Like I honestly, like that true, you know, everyone says like, oh, there's a weight off my shoulders or, you know, this off my chest. Like I truly like just saying it out loud. I like reexamined that feeling. And it almost like sounded silly when I said it out loud. Not silly, like it was very, very serious. Um, one of the most serious things you could say out loud. But I was like, I looked at myself and I'm like, why? Yeah. Like, what What do you, you want to kill yourself? Like, I sort of like got out of my body and was like looking at myself like, you got to be kidding me. It's time to, you got to do something. Because nothing changes if nothing changes. Mm hmm yeah, that was that was a powerful piece in your book was like nothing's going to change if you don't change anything. Like that's that's number 1. You've got to change your environment, you got to change your behavior, you've got to change I mean from a, you know, from a neuroscience perspective, like you, you've got to change your personality like to change your reality. You know what I mean? Like that's Yep, yep. Yeah, that's Dr. Joe Spinza work, right? You've got to change your personality, change your reality. And, and that can be really hard for some people. And, and, and I guess, was there, my next question for you, was there a moment on your journey that was at that same level of mystical? Was there anything like that that happened on your bike ride? Oh, uh, <laughs> A, a lot of those moments, um, to that level, to that extent, I'd say the biggest moment where I truly knew that I made a U-turn, I made a 180 and I was getting back, back on track was 1500 miles in. 
and I was riding into Alpine, Texas, and I was on a 100, 103, 102 mile day, and it was 70 miles without any service, no phone service, no gas stations, not, no services on the road. And there was something about that day that I just snapped out of it. I like woke out, woke up. I was reborn. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's almost like I retaught my brain how to think. And yeah, it took 1500 miles and not everyone's going to have that opportunity to ride a bicycle that far. And it's not about riding a bicycle. It's not about hiking. It's about the journey that you take and understanding that you need to take a journey. And you can do that at any place. You can do that in a prison cell. You could do that, you know, working your nine to five. You just have to accept the journey that needs to be taken. And it takes time. And when I got 1,500 miles in, I just had this outlandish feeling of peace overcome me as the sun was setting and I was rolling into Alpine, Texas. And I remember pulling over my bike into the woods and watching the sunset over these mountains and just like crying like tears of joy. Mm, like mm-hmm. Truly just like, I was like, I feel better. Like I wasn't thinking about my panic. I wasn't thinking about my depression. I like put it behind me. And I was just like, I was so happy to be like, I was there. I was there. And I was like feeling the sunset, like, and just something clicked. And it took a while um, on my bike ride. I mean, 1500 miles for me to truly get there. But when I got there, I never looked back. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's so beautiful, man. I, I think like you popped, like, I don't know, you broke through, like you awakened, like there's so many ways to label it, which we don't even need a label. It's just, it just, oh, it's just so inspiring. So inspiring to have that, that change. And, and I think for me, the thing that stood out in the book was, well, one, literally, it's to me, what I read, what I saw in the book was like, it was just miracle after miracle after miracle. Like, I mean, people are just like, Oh, here's $20 or, or are you making such a big difference in my life? Or like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe you're here. Like just literally miracle after miracle. Like, Oh my God, Kevin, like you're just spreading love. Like it was so, such a beautiful, um, such a beautiful process to read through. For me, the biggest thing was, was the, the, on the reservation and the Apache natives singing you a song and blessing you and giving you safe passage through their lands. Like I read that and I was like, wow, that is like, and you write it in your book multiple times. Like this doesn't happen to most white people. Like, I don't know why they're doing this. Like, I just, I, I feel so blessed. And it was just like, this is, that says a lot, man. That says a lot. And it just is such a powerful part of the book. Like I would love to hear, I guess I'd love to hear your perspective on that from like from you directly. Yeah, that was beautiful. Um, I don't think there's something so amazing in life, Thomas, when you allow yourself to be vividly in the moment, when you allow yourself to be present, to be peaceful, just to be there. And I remember the night before, um, before I got onto the reservation and there was a few people that warned me, they were like, Oh, you shouldn't camp on the reservation. It could be dangerous. And I understand that perspective, um, you know, with a grain of salt, because 
there is a alcohol problem on the reservation. So there, there are some people drinking too much and, and driving on those deserted lands. But my experience on, so it was the San Carlos, San Carlos reservation in Arizona near the town of uh, Peridot was ridiculously magical. And it's me and Rocky, so I'm towing like 150, 170 pounds at some time, depending on how much dog food I got at that time. And uh, we get onto the sacred lands, and I just feel like, gosh, it was almost like my mind took me back to a place where like, I could see them like riding their horses across the road and shooting buffalo and climbing mountains. And I, I just could feel the energy of this sacred land. And when I got down, there was, uh, it's like a truck stop and they have a, it's like the only cheeseburger you can get, uh, within, you know, 60 miles or whatever. I don't know the mileage. Don't quote me on that one, but, uh, I pull into Apache burger at the truck stop and two or two nights, two nights, two or three nights before I got interviewed on, uh, Fox in, in Phoenix on the uh, TV station. And so I, you know, I give Rocky, every time I open his trailer, I give him water, I give him some food. And, and then I tie him up to his cart and he's sitting out in the shade. No, no, I brought him in that time. I'm sorry. I brought him in and I'm in the back of the line. There's probably 15 people behind me. And there's this big, I mean, he looks like a, a defensive lineman, like this huge, huge Apache Indian right in front of me. And, uh, we're sitting there and Rocky's trying to jump on everyone's table, get their French fries. And, you know, I'm holding him down and this guy turns around and he goes, he says something like, uh, you're that firefighter. This is, this is Rocky, right? I, we saw you on the news the other night, last night or whatever. And I said, yeah, like I'm trying to tell him like, like I didn't want any attention, you know? Um, and he's like, Oh no. And he looks out at the whole, I gosh, there's 50, 60 people in the, in the, this, big restaurant and he goes hey this is the the firefighter he's riding his bike across the country raising money for charity this is rocky you know and all of a sudden people start clapping and stuff and uh he's with um so he's a tribal uh a youth tribal leader up in the white mountains down on uh on the reservation down there in the white mountains uh on the san carlos reservation i'm sorry and we order food and it takes like an hour. And so I go out, sit outside and me and Rocky are there and he comes outside and he's got uh, seven or eight students with him. And he says, it would be an honor if we could sing you a, a famous, uh, not famous, an old Apache song to bring warriors and, and hunters back home safely. And I said, that's, it'd be an honor to, for you. It'd be an honor for me. And uh, the song was called Going Home, and it's all uh, in Apache. And he grabs his students. They're waiting for food off the bus, and one of them grabs a drum, and they kind of circle around, uh, me and Rocky. And it was almost like Rocky could feel the music when he starts beating on the drum, and they start uh, teenager kids singing the song, and I'm standing back with uh, the Apache leader, and we're watching them, and, and gosh tear it was so emotional like it was all in apache it was all in their native tongue so i didn't know anything they were saying but you could feel it like the emotions they were just 
Like you could feel the words and the music with the drum beating and Rocky's kind of barking. Like he's excited about it, not barking in like a vicious way. And it was one of the most wild, beautiful, magical moments of my life. Like I was so humbled. Like why did they choose to do this? And, and we were talking about energy. Like there was some type of energy where I was on their sacred lands you know, their ancestral lands. And they wanted to share that land with me and also give me a sense of peace and security. And it was like, it was so humbling. Like, I, I, it just blew my mind. Like, how special is this moment I'm in? And it, it was so hard to leave that. Like, that was one of the best moments of my life. Just to feel that special, like they're honoring me with a sacred song that they've been singing for, you know, thousands of years going home. And, uh, then we rode off after we got our food and I camped on ancient, uh, Apache lands out in the desert. And uh, so much of this journey, Thomas, like I was being reborn and I was becoming more clear. I was finding more clarity in my mind and more stability in my soul and my heart. And it was these, it was people like this. It was firefighters. It was strangers. It was the Apaches. It was just wild moments that would happen that were helping me get back to life, helping me find my center, find my heart again and find like who I, who I was and like, just calm the fuck down. And it was moments like that with the Apaches where they blessed me with this sacred song on their sacred land that helped me to like regain, reteach like who I am as a person. Mm. Mm. Wow. Wow. I love that. Just like, like who I am. I think that's so, so important. And what you're, what I'm hearing, like when you're talking about this uh, present moment, just being in the moment with that song is like beingness, like being, like not just like as in a verb, like we're not just to be, but we're being, like we're doing it actively, being right now. Amen. Like, Amen. Oh, that word. Just, just, you know, that comes from a mentor, Danny, and, and just being is so powerful. Like that's, that's the secret to life, I think. All right. Well, hold on. I'm with come, you there. Come, come back to being, right? And, and I guess, we we've kind of talked about it a little bit with like reality and 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 i guess to me there's this point in your journey like you just explained in alpine texas where something changed something popped and i feel like i would love to go a little bit deeper in that idea of like maybe you literally changed your reality at that point and i'm not saying like you changed realities i'm changing i'm saying like you changed how you perceive reality like almost completely and and i would love to just get your thoughts on that like how how because this is a very this is a technique in in huna and in, in hawaiian shamanism that i i work with all the time is like well when we change our personality we actually change our reality and the way we perceive almost everything in our life so it, it changes us it, it's a perspective change but it's also a change in reality I would love to get your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. It was, I was on such a magical 
journey and it all it started slow and then it started immediately so when i started on my bike ride so i was riding my bicycle from for people that don't know from san francisco california 3500 miles to st augustine florida and on the night before i left san francisco so before the first day i started riding i had a severe panic attack with my friend leash uh, mummy a firefighter i know was in town we shared a hotel for the night and we went out to get some food and right when the food came i just like broke down and i was like i gotta go and she was so compassionate it was really nice actually because i was really embarrassed and i was like i gotta go i don't feel well and she knew um so I went home and then it was just like almost immediately out of the, out of the blocks when I started on this journey. So I went from a year depressed panic attacks, two, three, four times a day. And then the first day I started right, riding my bicycle across the country, I received messages from so many people that wanted to help me. And my dad's friend, Alan Haynes, um, watched my dog for four days so I could cover some serious ground, uh, coming out of uh, Santa Monica. And then my friends came down and saw me in Manhattan Beach. And then I had um, the Apaches, you know, that what we just talked about. And then firefighters helped me all across Texas. And I feel like my perspective changed because I started understanding what I've always understood. And so I, I'm a long distance hiker and uh, runner and cyclist. And I started to understand what life is again. And I forgot that feeling. Like the worst feeling that I forgot was hope. I lost hope. I lost hope for tomorrow. I lost hope for ever getting out of this depression. I lost hope for ever feeling better. And I started to feel hope again. And that's your perspective, right? Like your perspective is what you think is going to happen in the future. And I started to forget about, more importantly, I started to forget about the future. And I started to settle in with now, which is reality, right fucking now. What am I doing right now? I'm sitting in a fucking drum circle with Apache singing me an ancient song going home. You know, I'm I'm spending the night at the Globe Hotshots base in Arizona. Like, I'm hanging out with firefighters in Silver City, New Mexico. And we're having dinner together, breaking bread. And we're talking about, like, real things in life that matter. And my, I was focused on now. I couldn't, on such a big journey, I was focused. There's no way in hell, when I'm in San Francisco, I'm thinking about, oh, gosh, I wonder what it's like going to be in Texas. What's it going to be like in Florida? Oh, I can't wait. No, I never thought about tomorrow. Ever. I was so right there. And that brought me back to life. The people, you know, I had to fight for it. I, I chose to go on this journey. But the people, the people of this world, and it's people like you that can help people. It's all about that. Like we're all connected. There's like this crazy spider web. And we're all connected and we need to be nice to each other, take care of each other. And I was so humbled by the response I got from wildland firefighting community, the people that stepped up and helped me all along the journey. They like, it was like CPR. People were like 
breathing me back mm-hmm. to life. You know, there was day by day, you know, I'm alone on my bike, but I could feel this energy. You know, I'd get these messages, these phone calls from people. You know, we could watch your butt, your dog for a, a day or two, you know, so you could crush some big miles on your bike. And it was these moments where I, I couldn't look forward. I couldn't look backward. I was right there. And, and that's what you talk about, like in reality versus looking at my perspective. And I only had two, um, two panic attacks um, in those 52 days on my bike. Wow, brother. I love that so much. And I think what I'm hearing, like from my perspective, is it, it's it's almost like you realized uh, all these things in your mind were just illusions. Like it's just things we make up, right? We make a lot of things in our life, right? We, we make a lot of things with our mind, but really like there's only a couple of things that are created. Like love is part of creation, right? Like our beingness is part of creation. Like but we try to make things up in the future in our mind constantly. And to come back to that beingness, like it, it sounds like you almost just, you just dropped all the illusion, which is like, no, I'm here. I'm in love right now. Like, but right now I'm in love and wow. No doubt. No doubt. Wow, brother. That's amazing. I love it. Well, we do get lost and I stress is like the most dangerous drug and <laughs> people get stressed about tomorrow, next week. Am I going to make that deadline? Am I going to do this? Like, let it go. Let it go. Like, there's so much. Like, the only thing you have control over is your actions and reactions. Like, you can't fuck around with tomorrow. You can't change how David down the street feels. You can't change what Betty just did when she hit your car. No. Fix your flat tire and move on, you know? And uh, there was was just like, uh, it was crazy, but... When I was going through my, I went to the emergency room, I think seven or eight times last year and, uh, got my blood pressure was off the roof. Like it was reality. Like when my blood pressure was like 220, 230 over 110, 115, like it was real, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I gave more life to it. It was like a little egg hatched. But then I like I fed this chicken. I made this chicken fucking big. Right. I didn't have I didn't have to. Right. You know. And then right. I learned to. That's a bad analogy. I killed that fucking chicken. But you know what I mean. Like, I learned to exercise was my my biggest weapon, and that's what helped me so much in my bike ride. Like mm. I woke up, and before my mind could go to a dark place, I already rode 25, 30, 40 miles, and I made my heart beat a little faster. Mm. And I think that's what was so positive. Exercise will change your life. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to go back to something you said as stress being the most dangerous drug. And and you know, from what I do is is really like, I don't want to use the word medicine because I'm not a doctor, but it's like a it comes from a mind body medicine world or like integrative psychology, which means mind body, and from the alternative practitioner perspective, 99% of illnesses, diseases, of psychological issues are stress-related. In other words, it's the root cause is stress. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what I do from a medical perspective is I reduce stress for people. And and so like I, I just I, I want to make sure and acknowledge what you just said is like so, so profound and so true. There's so much science on that that stress is like 
it is detrimental to our health. And like you're saying, like I had a panic attack and it's real because I went to the ER and I have high blood pressure. Like no doubt, like when our mind believes something, it's real, it's fucking real. Like there is no question that disease is real, but it's only real because you made it real. You see what I mean? And it's so, man, the mind body is the mind body energy connection is I could spend 20 hours talking on that. It's so um, like powerful power powerful so i i guess as i'm reading your book as well that kind of on the same topic is is like the book the body keeps the score right and the exercise and the movement like not only are you moving your body to raise those chemicals and all the things physiologically but you're you're moving through those emotions but you're also moving the stuff that's like stored in the body like you see what i mean so i think there's there's so many aspects of your journey that's just it it just makes sense that you literally had a mystical experience. You healed yourself. You pedaled through the demons. And I just, wow, you're inspiring. You're a superhero oh, brother. You, oh no. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it's so enlightening when you start to understand yourself and, mm. you know, growing up, you know, as a teenager, you think you're the, you know, when you're like 16, you think you're the shit. Like, you don't know shit. You know, <laughs> when you finally turn 18, you're like, oh, well, that wasn't as special as I thought it was fixing to be. And then when you turn 21, you're like, oh, it's not that cool to go, you know, to the bar, you know, but you think you're so cool. And then when you really become a man and become comfortable with yourself, like allow yourself to understand yourself. We're not perfect. Like I could tell you a million ways that I'm not, you know, the best that I could be. I understand that. That doesn't mean I'm not proud of myself, but I accept who I am. I accept who I am and I strive to be better. You know, I, I tell myself this week, like I should have ran a little further. So, you know what? Next week I go run a little further and you got to speak that out loud, you know? And mm-hmm. when you speak that to like friends and family, you know, I'm used to running as like a, a metaphor for anything. When you speak that to someone, then you, you feel it even more. Because now you're accountable too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that so much. And and I take that to the next level, which I'm sure you do already, is like not so much I'm going to try and run more, but I'm going to run more. And I'm going to, yeah. You, it just happens. It, you speak it out loud and, and your word is law. You know, from a metaphysical perspective, your word is law. What you say will happen. And so, oh, I, I love, love that. that. Your word is law. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with Absolutely. all my, with all my, uh, big endeavors in my life, Thomas, I've always, I, I don't, it's like a subconscious thing that when I say it out loud to someone, so like when I called Burke Minor and I said, I feel like shit, I want to end my life. I'm going to ride my bike across the country. What I said was law. You know, I haven't heard mm-hmm. that expression, but like in my mind, it's like, I said it out loud. I'm a man of my word. I got to do it. And I've done that with, you know, you know, a dozen different things. And then I do it because now I believe in it, but now I can't, like I said it, I said it out loud and someone else knows. So I got to make it happen. That's right. That's right, man. That's right. Oh yeah. I love it. I love it. So, so I mean, I want to save a special place here for Rocky. I mean, I, I God, I would love to hear his perspective on this journey as a dog. That's so funny. But I guess, like, how did he, 
because he, he went through so many strangers. He went through so many different trucks and vehicles and people and houses and hotels. And I just like most dogs probably would have freaked out the whole time, you know? And, and I just like, I'm curious on how Rocky took the whole journey. He might be like um, Kramer on Seinfeld where he's just laughing all the time and running into your room and, and having a good time. He is, gosh, I think he was sent to me. Like we're talking about this energy, this deeper stuff, like how just magical things happen that, you know, you couldn't predict, you couldn't write this down, you know, it just happened. And uh, Rocky's a trooper. Rocky actually, um, when we were in Florida, he was staying um, with a, another firefighter. He actually did the pack test. So he's oh, yeah. a, they said he's an honorary firefighter for the forest services in Florida, but no, he was a trooper. He was a trooper. I actually felt bad. So I had him in a, a trailer. I was towing him cause it's not safe to have a dog run, run alongside you. And uh, no, every time he popped out of there, we'd, we'd take long breaks and he'd run through the desert and, I've never seen a dog happier in my life. And mm. he's a true companion. He's a true companion. And he's so loyal and he's so protective. And I don't, I don't think most people have dogs as happy as, as Rocky is. <laughs> no, I, I love that dog. Oh man. He's such a special, special being. Like I could just feel his energy in the book. Like, wow, Rocky is just, it's almost like he kind of anchored you. I don't know that why I feel like that, but he like kind of anchored you and like, I'm not alone. You know what I mean? Or like, there's some sort of like companionship that really was just so important for you. And that's just, that's just my, I don't know, my personal interpretation. No, I, but, I totally agree. I don't, I don't know if my, no, I do know. My journey would never have been the same if I didn't have him. Mm. He, he changed everything. It was those small big moments if i can use a phrase like that those small big moments where i like was done and i just like you know didn't throw my bike down but just like threw it down in the desert and i was like this is fucking hard and then he'd run around and he'd come like lick my face and i'd be like it's okay everything's okay <laughs> and oh gosh and he also like I swear there's so many people across the country that will always remember rocky they might never know my name but I swear, Rocky's like a little celebrity for those 3,500 miles. Everyone knows him. Yep, that's right. I know. It's so funny. Everywhere in your book is like, yeah, it's like people don't recognize me, but they recognize Rocky in the restaurant or the gas station. Like, oh, is that Rocky? It's so funny. Like, so, oh, man, what a journey you were on. And, and I mean, is there anything else you want to talk about, brother? Like, we could go anywhere. I, I'm... I'm curious, is there anything we haven't touched on? Is there something deeper, something else you want to talk about? Oh, we could talk about a million things. Um, I think it's important that people understand that we will never know the impact that we have on other people. And I want to use an example when I say that. I was in Portland, Oregon, probably seven or eight years ago way before I ever went through anything in my head where I did not understand panic. I didn't understand anxiety. I didn't understand depression. Those were words. I understood what they meant. I didn't understand the feeling. And to truly understand something, you must go through it mm -hmm. to be empathetic. 
mm-hmm. and I was walking over this bridge and uh, going back to my friend's house all alone. And I'm walking back and I'm on the, the high peak of the bridge and there's a guy just crying and he walks by me and my heart just speaks to me like, say something. And so I turned around and I said, hey man, what's going on? And this guy is just, you can just feel the devastation in his face. His being, like how he's standing, how he is. And he says, I'm about to jump off the bridge. And I said, all right, well, you want to talk for a minute? And we sit down and we talk for a little bit. And it's bitter cold and we just talked. And he didn't want to be alive. I never understood that till eight years later. And he was fixing to jump off that bridge. And we sat down, we talked, and we kept talking. And we walked off the bridge together. And he didn't kill himself that night. And it's moments like like that where we got to step back. And we got to understand every friend that you've ever had in your entire life has always been a stranger at some point and the impact that you can make on people by simply listening and being there for someone can change someone's perspective and it might not be forever but that moment is all you have so give your all when you can Mm, wow that's such an amazing experience so much wisdom and and i think Something, something I did pass over that I, I want to make sure we talk about a little bit more is is exactly what you're talking about—the power of gift, like the power of giving. And in your in your book, there's so many times like this person gave you this, or they helped you with Rocky, or there's so much generosity, so much kindness in your book. But there's one moment in the book I really I really want to hit on, and and that was that moment with the homeless person that was deaf. In New Orleans. And, and and New Orleans, and you're, you're like giving this person, you're, you're trying to talk to them, but maybe you're not sure like what's happening. And then this person just at the perfect timing walks up and is like, yeah, signs language. Like, holy shit, how is that, how is that even Insane. possible? Insane. <laughs> so, right? And so it goes through this whole process where you're buying the guy lunch and you're hanging out. And it's just like uh, the power of gifting, the power of giving, I, I think what you said almost right off the bat when we started was like, when you give love, it comes right back to you. And and that is one of the deepest like spiritual concepts there is of just like generosity and kindness. It's so interesting when you give love from your heart, not expecting like when you give it, it comes right back to you in some sort of miraculous form. Like every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty powerful, pretty powerful. And, and, I don't know. Is there anything you want to speak to that too? You know, I believe Thomas, it goes back to what we were talking about, like with energy and and your spirit Hmm. thing. Things happen for a reason. If you let there be a reason, there's not always a reason. You can always find one. Things happen because you believe in them and you make it happen. You can put a reason to anything in life. You know, but when you let things happen, when you believe in them, they happen. And so uh, what Thomas is talking about is 
when I was in New Orleans, my dad came out and supported me uh, for 11 days on my bike tour. And I had to drop him off at the airport, uh, got back to the hotel, and I took Rocky out, and we we're going to go get, uh, we we're taking the day off. And I could not walk. That was the weirdest thing, Thomas. I <laughs> couldn't, my, uh, it was my left leg, right leg. Gosh, I can't remember. My left, like, quad, like, seized up. Like, I was like, it, it, I should be on crutches. It looked like how I was walking. Like, I was like a fucking pirate or something. Right. But I could pedal. I could ride a bike. <laughs> I could not walk. I could not walk. You'd think I was like a gimp or something like that. But I, I could pedal. And that's all that mattered. But uh, I take Rocky down to this uh, little bar. And I was like, oh, it's our first day off. And, you know, like a thousand miles. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get a mimosa something like that. And I walk in and, and get a mimosa. And I'm sitting outside. And I've done homeless work for uh, years now. Helping, uh, helping the less fortunate very important uh to me and and that's how i was raised uh my my mother and father uh are tremendously generous to veterans and and less fortunate uh people my entire life so i I was blessed with with learning and understanding that since i was a little boy and i see this homeless guy out on the corner and i couldn't i couldn't read a sign from where i was sitting but my dad i just drove my dad to the airport and i was I was kind of sad he was leaving. Like he was my first like person to be there. It's my dad. It's my role model. And he's out there and I drive him back to the airport after 11 days. And I'm sitting there drinking a mimosa and I miss him. And I'm just kind of like, I did the whole journey up to that point alone. And now I'm alone again. And I'm sitting there thinking about shit. And I see this homeless guy and I was like, I want to go see if this guy he's definitely lonely like let me go see if he wants some food and it was the most bizarre thing because my uh mother's going blind uh, which is one of your senses and i read a sign it says i'm deaf i want some food something like that and like i can relate to that um i have empathy for that i don't know what it what it would be like to not be able to hear anything but i know helping my mother what it's like to not be able to see and uh, she can see a little bit out of her peripherals. But um, that was the wi- the wildest thing was I walk over to him. He's got the sign. I'm deaf. I- I'm hungry. And I walk over and I- I'm trying to talk to him before I read his sign. I realize- Then I read his sign. I realize I can't hear what I'm saying. And I'm like, gosh, I want to. Like in my head, I'm like, I want to tell this guy, like, I want to get you some food. Like, what do you want? Some water? You need something. We're in New Orleans. It's fucking 100 degrees and humid. And just by like the energy, a miracle, God, whatever you want to call it, this lady's like on her way back to work after a lunch break or whatever, like business, like professional. And she walks by and she goes, what are you trying to say to this guy? And I said, he's deaf. And she goes, I know sign language. And so I'm telling her what I'm trying to say, like, do you want to get some food with me? And she's like signing it to him. She's doing sign language. And it was like, how did this just happen? There's like hundreds of people walking by every moment. And this wonderful woman, like on her way to work, has to be there real soon, takes time out of her day. And she's like, I know sign language. I can help you. And uh, me and this uh, deaf guy, uh, she signs to him and we go and we eat lunch together and uh it just sat there um 
in silence. I don't know sign language. And it was so comforting because I was kind of sad that my dad was leaving. And I'm sure he's been sad for a long time, unfortunately, for the position that he's in. And we just sat there and we didn't talk. We just were there for each other. And, you know, he'd like smile when I, you know, try to say something like I, I, I try to do sign language, like put my hands together. Like I'm praying for you, try to do that sign mm. and then like point to him and he would just smile and look at mm. me. And there was something beautiful about, there was no words that were ever said, but there was energy being spread and there was the feeling of love. There was the feeling of we're connected and you know, working with homeless people is so hard because it's a band-aid on a fucking wheel. Like I'm helping you for lunch, but like, I won't be here for the next 10 years. You know, like I can't help you long-term, but that's where we go back to perspective, moment, reality Mm. right now. Everything's okay. Mm. Mm. And that's what matters. Mm Mm-hmm. So powerful, brother. I love it. I love it. And wow, such a, such an amazing story. Like your whole book. I just, I just like, oh my God, man. It's just an amazing read. Um, you know, for people that haven't seen it yet, there's a, there's a, I I made it like an editorial review of the book. Like it just, it really hit me in a lot of ways, like just really powerful, especially like your dad being out there for 11 days. I thought that was a really special, like Man, I think most men and their father like crave something like that. So like you're blessed with such an amazing, um, that's just a huge part of the book is that journey with your father. Truly, truly blessed. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, what's next for you, brother? Like what's, what's, what's your next plan? What's like, I know you got the new book coming, like it's out and you're selling copies like crazy. Like what's, what's next for you? That is a great question, but we talked about living in the moment. That's true. I'm teasing. Um, I'm, oh, I haven't said this out loud and I don't know if I want to do it, but um, <laughs> I might go back to fire oh, I uh, love it. I love next it. season. Um, well, I'm recording an audio book, uh, my book, audio, and then... I'm going to train like I'm going for fire season. I'm also uh, writing another book. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They comes in threes. I think I like, I just, I, I couldn't stop writing after my first one. I love it. Oh, that's so good. I'm so excited. Can yeah. we, can we ask what it's about or is it too early? Uh, well, I'm on the, I got like six different topics. Uh, the book I want to write next, I want to keep practicing, you know, to get mm-hmm. better and better. You got to focus on what you're doing. And uh, I want to write a book called 11 Years, which is focused on the last 11 years that I've lived. So I've hiked the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, uh, ultra marathons, and Hurricane Harvey, Burgers in Love, and uh, a lot of different cool. I want to do like a short story, something that like had a mm. lot of chapters, but had like really cool stories i think that would be a really fun book to write Mm. um i got a few ideas but i i I, i'm so i'm like 90 percent want to go back to fire oh i love it so uh 
Yeah, I don't know what's fixing to happen. Um, I'm back home right now, you know, trying to help my family and, and focus on selling this book. And the book is just so much greater than me. And I wrote that on my wall. Like this book has a greater purpose than myself because I believe this book will help other people. And, you know, just with my experience being a wildland firefighter, I want to relate to, to wildland firefighters, but it, it can reach anyone that has went through, you know, what you and I have gone through, mm-hmm. through depression, through bad times, through, you know, panic, anxiety, through stress, through anything. Like, I just want to be authentic and, and tell a true story. Like, it, it's so important in life to be true to yourself and don't do it. For anyone else, be true to yourself. Mm. I love that. I, I love that message, brother. Be true to yourself. It's so true. So important. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Like, I is there like I, I feel so complete and I, I just want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for your journey. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for everything, everything that you are. Like, I just, I see your light. I see your love, brother. Thank you so much. And um, any any final words before we, um, of course, we want to shout out the website and your Instagram and those things, but is there any final words before that? I would love final words. And it was so wonderful to connect. And I, uh, what a privilege. Thank you so much for having me on here. And uh, I, I'm just very honored to be on your podcast. And yeah, it's a treat. I would love to say uh, one thing and then read a. Can I read a short poem? Oh, please! That would be that would be a blessing. Okay, my first note is: uh, never ever give up. You are never alone, and please never give up. I wrote this poem uh, a couple of days ago. It's not that good, but it might be all right. panic or anxiety or depression may always be a part of me but that is it it's only a fraction and not who i am nor will i ever allow it to define me or take my life over ever again i am in control and i steer the ship life will have more adversity and more obstacles in my future and that ship That ship may go a little off course. However, I will sit there and feel those emotions. I will be with the waves and those moments, they will all pass. And I will guide my ship back onto its course. I won't run from my feelings. I will learn to deal with them, understand them, and heal through them. You cannot change a cloudy or rainy day, but you can throw on a rain jacket and go jump into a puddle and you can smile and dance again. Mm, mm, love it. Oh, wow. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. How, how, how can people find you? How can they get the book? How can they uh, follow you? Yeah. The best way, the only way to get the book is Kevin, the author.com. And then, uh, the best way to follow me is on Instagram, which is back 
backcountry ninjas, plural, ninjas, backcountry ninjas. Awesome, awesome. I, I got to ask, where's the backcountry ninjas come from? Because I love that name so much. Like when I saw that, I was like, <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Like tell me, tell us more about the name. Yeah, in 2014, uh, the year after I finished the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, hiking Mexico to Canada, I started a t-shirt company for long distance hikers and, uh, sold a bunch of t-shirts that year. And, uh, so the, the, the reason we have the name is cause my buddy, so my trail name's 30 pack, my buddies Rub-A-Dub and Steamer. We used to put on this, uh, Japanese pop song. So we didn't know any of the words, but it had like a really stellar beat and we would do karate in the middle of nowhere, like high up in the Sierras or the Cascades. And we'd be knocking down branches on trees and we'd have sticks and do big karate kicks in the middle of nowhere. And we were just backcountry ninjas, you know, oh, just, just for fun. That's how it all started. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, for everybody listening, thank you so much for being here, for listening to this podcast. We just thank you for your presence and please check out the book like just sit down and read it it is incredible it's going to change your life it's there's some power in this book like i i really think there's um there's some energy you put in this book that's healing like it really is a powerful book brother and and uh so thank you thank you so much thank you for having me